0: FBI Radio. This is Professor Kurt Iverson. He's returning for the first time in 2018 for our fortnightly conversation about sustainability, about the environment, about what's hot and what's not so hot about our city in terms of making it fairer. But literally today we are going to talk about the heat. We're going to turn up the heat, talk about the weather, um, talk about a little bit of holiday reading that you got into. In yeah, the, in the second I figured half. it's
1: almost a bit of a holiday edition. Talk about the heat because we've had some, but. Uh bit of holiday reading as well in the second half. For Down to sure. Earth
0: Book Club. We'll, yep. well, we'll get into that. Um, so, holiday edition today. People are slowly sort of heading back to work.
1: I know, me included, which kind of I could do with another few weeks off, to be honest. But yeah, look, I mean, we've had in January so far, as you say, Christmas Day was a bit of a fizzer. We ended up sitting inside watching movies for half the day, which was actually nice as mm. it goes. But we've had some of those really hot days. Um, and I figured... Given that we're in the thick of it and we're about to get some more, that'd be a good topic for us to get back into to get started, talking about heat in cities and how we're surviving it how we're coping with it, especially as we're gonna have a bit more of it coming yeah. our way.
0: And look, in particular, uh, Sunday week ago, January 7, that was yeah. um, one of the hottest recorded spots in Sydney was Penrith, sort of mid afternoon. Yeah. It was up in it the got late up to 40s. Wasn't over forty seven, forty seven
1: point three degrees, which yeah. at the time we were all saying this is the hottest recorded temperature ever in Sydney. Now it turns out that sometime in the nineteen thirties there was a record of one station somewhere getting up to forty seven point five. Wow. So apparently not quite the hottest day. But nonetheless, um, you know, it causes all sorts of problems in cities. I don't know. Do you remember what you did to I, get look, away?
0: I was at a music. I was at a music festival, oh. and I was not having a good time. <laughs> That's brutal. We, we got there right in the hottest part of the day, and why we did that is beyond me. Oh, it's no just, way. It's just a regret.
1: Yeah, man. yeah. Did they have those little mist that, sprinkler no, thingies just, going or that, something? they had or good nothing? music,
0: but um, it, was a, it was a real struggle. Oh,
1: man. Yeah, because yeah, I just did what I usually do when it gets over 40, which is go and retreat to mum and dad's house, because... <laughs> They put in air conditioning a couple of years ago, which is terrible. But anyway, there it is. I guess if if they're
0: going to have it on anyway, go on. I know,
1: sort of a way of coping because we don't got it. But, um, you know, we're getting to the point where we can expect a lot more of this over the next few years. Like all of the climate modelling suggests from the Bureau of Meteorology and the CSIRO and everybody else that there's going to be more and more of these sort of extreme heat events. And we keep breaking records. You know, this year we had that crazy hot day. Last year, February was... Like, I don't know whether you remember, but we were all talking about the weather because it was just brutal. It was the hottest February on record by a mile. And
0: so the thing with last year is they said that it wasn't even El Nino or despite it being El Nino or Laonina, it was it hotter than what yeah. it was forecast. Yeah,
1: that's right. So even taking account of those sort of cyclical changes yeah. that we can expect, it just went way beyond all of that sort of stuff. So it's a bit of a big deal, right? In fact, it's such a big deal, this stuff about heat and heat stress and what it does to us, that there's a... Funded projects, a global funded project by the Rockefeller Foundation at the moment called 100 Resilient Cities that's looking at all these issues about how cities are going to cope with climate changes. Mm. And there's a project as part of that. Sydney is one of their 100 cities and they've done the initial couple of years of their scoping research about you know climate in Sydney. And the number one environmental risk that they reckon we're facing is extreme heat over the coming century. Um, and yeah, more than... Fires, floods, any of that sort of stuff—it's the heat.
0: Surely, those type of events are still related to heat stress as well, a byproduct of heat stress. You would expect more fires. That's right. So,
1: yep, you would expect, as you say, they all sort of come as part of a package, particularly the fires and the heat stress. But um, I guess they're sort of saying that even if we can manage to actually, you know, protect ourselves from the fire dimension of it, it's actually all the health-related effects of you know, what's going to happen to the population um, if we keep seeing these days over 40 that they're worried about.
0: So this super hot day we had Sunday a week ago, it was recorded hottest in Penrith. And yeah. it is certain areas, of course, are going to be suffering more heat stress than others.
1: Yeah. And that's why it's another one of those things that for us, you know, it's sort of classic down to earth material, right, about how the environmental stuff interacts with all those sort of social justice questions. But yeah, like if you just look at the temperatures even in January, Uh, so far I just went and had a look at the meteorology figures the other day so if you go to Canterbury which is like 10 kilometers west then things so far in January on average have been about just two and a half percent hotter but as you keep going further west you see these big changes so Parramatta and Blacktown which are 20 kilometers away from the CBD it's eight to nine percent hotter on average every day this month so far Uh, Campbelltown 11 percent hotter every day uh, and Penrith, it's been 20% hotter. That's why they had to make the
0: leagues club so big so uh, half the town could fit in it. And I know.
1: And this is, well, this is the stuff we're going to have to start thinking about, right? That it's like um, that horrible thing that you can almost map the hot temperatures onto the, you know, the poorer and more vulnerable populations in the city as well. And so we've got to this situation where, you know, it's very common in cities that the places with the nicest climate tend to be the places with the most valuable real estate. So the wealthy can sort of afford to be by the beach or by the harbour, and everybody else is sort of sweating it out in these places that are even hotter.
0: And so aside from um, building larger leagues, clubs in these (laughs) affected areas, what can we start to do to deal with... Well,
1: yeah, so this is it. So one of the things that the Resilient Cities Project has been talking about is just that really basic stuff about the emergency services and the hospitals being ready for it. Um, People being informed about what to do in the heat. They don't usually advise you to go to music festivals and sit in the sun, Alex. That's like other stuff that you can do to deal with it. Um, But... You know, some really basic stuff about kind of neighborliness and checking in, particularly where you know that you've got neighbors that are elderly or with little kids, because they're the people that are also really vulnerable to the effects of heat stress. Um, But it's all this stuff about urban development that gets me interested as well. Like we're sort of the way that we're developing some of these really hot areas is actually making it worse, contributing to this sort of urban heat island effect. Well, how? Well, it's all the stuff about when you remove all the vegetation, mm. when there's uh, just heaps and heaps of concrete and roads, all those things actually kind of, you know, suck up the heat almost and um, do nothing concrete to Concrete
0: and cement, despite being so uh, problematic in, in environmental terms in, 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 producing it has mm. got such thermal mass that if you've mm-hmm. got a big concrete building, it sucks in. Yeah, yeah. and then it hangs that on. That heat and it yeah. really hangs on to it.
1: Yeah, so I think we've got to be thinking more about like how we develop those areas in ways that are a bit more sensitive to these questions of heat and don't just flatten every single tree and piece of green in sight to do it. Where we're building the houses... So that they're not just completely dependent on air conditioning for their cooling. Because again, if you can't afford the air conditioning or you can't afford to run it, then what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, do you have eaves that are actually protecting your windows from the direct sun? Do you have ceiling fans? Are or you that facing
0: are... a particular aspect? Right. Yeah. All
1: that sort of stuff that we need to be starting to think about. Because, um, yeah, uh, the number one killer, the number one environmental killer uh, over the last century, according to some studies that we can link up on the website, is heat. So um yeah, if we're gonna have more and more of it, better start taking it seriously, I think.
0: Yep. Hot, hot, hot. Well, we've got some more weather talk up after a little break, something from Soft Tigers with a suggestion of what, what you can do to brave the heat today. As I said, it's gonna be twenty eight. That's kind of reasonable for yep. summer, but we are That's on right. a bit of a we are on a bit of an uphand spike. We are gonna have some warm days ahead of us. Kurt's here. We're happy. We're in the middle of Down to Earth. It's our fortnightly conversation about sustainability, and we'll be back with it to talk about some climate fiction after this. Now we're going to get into some of Professor Kurt Iverson's holiday reads. Yeah. Hollywood gossip. Um, (laughs) Fifty shades of... Okay, what, if, what have, no what have, what have
1: no no so look we've got we're going to go from heat stress to sea level rise because that's the other big thing that we've got you know coming down the barrel over the next I little wouldn't while I would
0: expect anything less of you in your no, just, reads No just coming exactly
1: that. well listen I got my partner gave it to me um, we talked last year about this emerging genre of fiction called cli-fi Climate fiction, right? Um, and one of my favorite authors in that little uh, genre is a guy by the name of Kim Stanley Robinson. And his big holiday blockbuster is called New York 2140. It's a big, thick 600-page beast. So
0: your partner got you that book. She did. It's like, so <laughs> shut up and sit do- in a corner <laughs> and read <laughs>
1: Right, leave us alone. Um, But it's awesome. So good. I think, um, yeah, she kind of guessed it would be in my happy place, and it really is. Um, So it's, you know, as the title kind of hints, it's set in New York in 2140. um, And by the time we get there, the world has been through two sea level rise pulses, right? Where he's sort of imagining what some of the science is telling us may well happen, which is if some of the caps which are preventing all those polar glaciers from melting into the ocean themselves melt, then we're going to end up potentially with not just like gradual sea level rise, but um, sort of events of sea level rise potentially as well. So he's imagining by 2140... Wow, 50 feet, 15 metres of sea level rise.
0: And look, on a much trashier level, on mm. New Year's Day when I was nursing a hangover, I watched The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, Do you remember it's a that classic. One? That deals with sea level rise, but also um, another impending polar ice age. Yeah. So it's I think it's set in New York as well. Poor it is. And poor young Jake Gillenhall's trudging around <laughs> in the snow being That's hit by right. And It's like Dennis you know it's Quaid.
1: That's da- Who is, is that right? Who's his dad chasing him around?
0: These films were all the rage... Decades ago, yeah, and they're still uh, as they were, and as ever. yeah,
1: but this, and so this is the thing about this New York as distinct mm. from the New York in a day after tomorrow, which is kind of cool about this book is that it's one of maybe one of the few things in this sci-fi genre that's not a kind of apocalypse, not a total dystopia, right? It's kind of like
0: it's a workable, he, yeah, disaster. he's kind of
1: imagined that we've just muddled on through, um, and then you know, not that there haven't been tensions, obviously, and dramas and traumas, but. You know, New York has kind of survived, right? So, half of Manhattan, the lower half, is um, is underwater, effectively. You know, the, the tides are coming up to the third and fourth speak, floor of these Atlantis, buildings. Now, yeah. yeah. But this is what's happened, you know. Gradually, the technologies have enabled them to keep some of the buildings going. There's canals running where there used to be streets. There's little vaporetos taking people between places. They've built sky bridges across... So you know,
0: logistically, the author goes into Kim Stanley Robinson goes into a lot of detail of yeah. how to make this a workable. Yeah, and so that are there just, any zombies? No zombies no, not on this one.
1: Not quite, but there's a lot of um, otters and various other animals who have you know figured out adapted how to make well. this uh, place work and adapted to it. Um, all the kind of low lying buildings that are totally underwater are now kind of reefs that are you know dangerous to all these little you know boats that are puttering around the canals. The High Line, for those of you who've been to New York, is an oyster bed. Um, you know, So he's just, in passing in the plot, just so done all this awesome... So ecosystems
0: have adapted yeah. and evolved in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does this author, does Kim Stanley Robinson have a background in ecology? Or, yeah. like? Or yep. surely there's a big consultation process that goes into making yeah. this believable. Exactly. So somebody so as knowledgeable as you, Kurt. That's right.
1: Oh, I'm so knowledgeable. So there is a lot of science. So this is his background and he does have a whole bunch of consultants that works with him. Um, but the other thing that then gets really fascinating about the book is that as well as the kind of, you know, environmental and technological adaptations, there's all these really interesting political and social ones that the sort of plot gets into the thick of, right? So some of these like intertidal zones in New York where, you know, capitals kind of vacated the premises effectively and given up on the city. And then what happens as you know, we kind of see now is that these communities of people sort of move in uh, to these vacated premises and kind of make them work. And so some of these old you know, tall buildings in lower Manhattan that are no longer sort of occupied by their corporate clients are now run by these co-ops who have got farms on the roof. Oh, you, know and you know what I can see happening, Kurt? The, yep.
0: the, all of a sudden, the value of these co-ops is going to rise. They're going to scrape off the barnacles. The trendy bars are going to move in.
1: See, you guessed it. you <laughs> really? um, Yeah, yeah. Gentrification yeah. begins to happen. So actually, the drama of the book is precisely around that question, right? Around the kind of gentrification pressures um, that start to go on and around all these sort of real estate pressures. But... um yeah, without giving you know too much, I don't want to give too many spoilers because people might feel like reading all six hundred pages of it. They should. It's awesome. Yeah. But um, a kind of event like a little bit like Hurricane Sandy, kind of comes through New York. You might remember Sandy from a couple of years ago. This big storm that did actually have a lot of New York underwater for mm. a couple of weeks. Um, and so all those little you know gentrifying pressures, all the little uh yeah, I guess attempts of these co-ops and everybody to sort of set up a sort of alternative, the tensions between those actors kind of come to a head in the response to this storm. Um, So yeah, really good read in the sense that you just, as I say, like a lot of that genre... Feels very like you read it and you just wanna throw your hands up and burn the book and give it, up.
0: It definitely goes a little further than the day after tomorrow. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You know, oh, I mean the thing that I loved about day after tomorrow from memory is that everybody has to move to Mexico and you have all these North Americans having to cross the border back the, the, the border. other way. Yep. The Mexican government being a little bit more generous than uh, How really the nice current about it. Yeah. <laughs> US government is being there. But yeah, with this one, it just feels as though You know, there's a real thing in here about the city being, you know, what we make it, right? So, yes, there will be these changes. And, yes, we've got to try and stop those big melts from happening because it's not a pretty picture when you think you just extrapolate from New York and think about the billions of people around the planet, literally, that are living in coastal cities that are going to be affected by this kind of sea level rise if it happens. Well,
0: Kurt, a couple of days ago, I think I had it saved here as a tap on my computer, but it was yesterday or the day before ABC News had an opinion piece on how rising sea levels could shrink Australia and spark a coastal exodus yeah. um, several metres in the next, by about 2100. So yeah. you, you, we're not buying our grandchildren investment properties on the water. <laughs> we want to be buying them places uh, in the Blue Mountains.
1: That's it. So 2140, um, Kim Stanley-Robinson he imagines that the capital of America has moved from Washington to Denver mm. for precisely this reason. So got, and yeah, you I think can eight actually eight
0: out of every ten Aussies live within 50 oh, Ks of the coast. Exactly. All the so edges.
1: there's a mob. We can put it up on the website. Maybe we can do this for us. But there's a group called Coastal Risk who've actually done some of the mapping using the NASA and the um, NOAA data to sort of imagine where the coastline is going to be in Australia in 2100. Um, so yeah, you can go check that out and see it's kind of, it is, you know, the airport's going to be underwater by 2100 yeah, if look, things don't change these, apparently.
0: Some of these, uh, further Western suburbs in Sydney, if, if they can survive the heat over the next few decades, they're going to be the <laughs> They might the, become the beachside to... properties for yeah. <laughs> That'll be the payoff.
1: <laughs> but yeah, and you should check this out too. I've, I don't know. It's a, it'll give you 30 seconds of amusement in your holidays, but there's also a little app that, um, an environmentalist, um, out of America has developed, but that works here called After Ice that you can stick on your phone. It's one of these little augmented reality apps where, um, you know, you can... uh, I've just taken a picture of myself outside the FBI studios, imagining if there was a 36% ice melt that I would have been standing underwater here in... uh, Redfern, Alexandria, wherever we are. So, um, oh, we'll and then you see, can maybe
0: we can take one of those for the Instagram.
1: Yep, yeah, take a picture, mm. share it with your friends underwater. Like for a like. Yep, <laughs> exactly. That's right. Let's do it.
0: So, look, this book again. It's by Kim Stanley Robinson. Um, it's a picture of New York, twenty-one forty. It's underwater, but it's actually. Finding coping mechanisms. Yeah,
1: and finding kind of political hope about how we might actually reorganize ourselves to prevent this stuff getting worse. And and, the
0: title slipped my mind again. What's the book called? New
1: York 2140. Oh,
0: sick. I said it. In all your
1: good bookshops. Not that I'm getting a cut or anything, but, you know, read a book.
0: in no way affiliated. He's just really geeked out over this book over the holiday break. So a couple of weeks' time, we will be talking again. We will. Yeah. We will. We um, might do
1: something about pets in the city, we were thinking, weren't we? So yeah, people come back like and that. talk about that. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, look, in the meantime, you can catch up on podcasts, just fbiradio.com forward slash down to earth. We've got a whole stack of previous episodes, which you can catch up on. We do. Great. Well, thank you, Kurt. Um, a couple of weeks time, we'll do this again. Yeah, Cheers. it's
1: nice to be back. Thanks, Alex.
0: This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fpiradio.com slash podcasts.